the scriptures this morning. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. We are making our way through this oh so very important book in the Bible. It's not just about the flood, my friends. Foundational information is found in our text here this morning. So very important that we understand these things. Before we dive in to study God's Word, let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, God, oh, we need the movement of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Bring these words to life before us. Make it very clear to us, God, what it is we ought to do in light of what we study. Make it personal to us, I pray. Apply it to our very hearts and minds. Be glorified now as we engage in the study of your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know that Abraham Lincoln is a lawyer, was a lawyer, right? Did you ever uh, find out how he became a lawyer? I mean, it didn't start out that way. I wasn't really asking. Oh, chopped the wood. Uh, I'm going to tell you. And he read by the firelight. You see, he was a partner in a country store. He had a guy named Barry owned a country store, and, and you know what? They wasn't doing that well. It wasn't doing that well. As a matter of fact, Barry had just <laughs> said, what do you think His we're going to do? His name was William. What? His name was William. And he was a colonel, William Jones, because oh. of when I was on vacation. Oh. I went down to check that out. And oh. he's from Indiana. Yeah. And Abraham Lincoln worked for him in the, in the general him, form. And in, in his general store, yeah. Abraham Lincoln worked for him. Yeah. He was yeah. a colonel that died in the Civil War mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Gotcha. So that's well, his thank you, little history there. History by Bill Jones. Yeah, you. it wasn't very, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Nonetheless, <laughs> Lincoln said, "You know, I really, I just want to get out of this business and I want to study law. And I wouldn't mind so much," he said, "if we could just sell all of this and pay all our bills and get, take care of everything until, you know, I could just have enough left to buy Blackstone's commentary on English law." I mean, the book on studying the law. But he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, I, I guess I can't. And just then, a wagon rolled up to the country store. And there was this family, and they were not well-to-do. To say that would be a gross exaggeration, my friends. What they were was poor. And as Lincoln looked into the wagon, he saw this man and his wife emaciated, starving, heading west, they said. And we got a barrel in the back, and it's about all we got left, but we'd sell it to you for 50 cents. Maybe we could get a meal. Lincoln looked them over, put his hand in his pocket, 50 cents is right. Bought a barrel that day. Left it up on the porch till evening. Went out there to check it out. Said, "Well, I own a barrel now." Oh, good. Looked inside, saw a bunch of papers. Took them out. 
and behold, there was a book. And as he looked at the, the book, he saw that its title was Blackstone's Commentary on English Law. Friends, that's not a coincidence. Lincoln surely didn't think so. He looked up into the heavens and said, Surely there is a God in heaven who has a purpose for me. And because he is leading me, I will give all that I have to live out this life. Providence. You've seen it in your life, haven't you? In the beginning of my ministry, I went to Moody Bible Institute in order to study the Bible. You've heard the story before. I just wanted to learn the Bible. I'm a Christian. How am I to live out the Word of God if I don't even know it? So I need to be a student. And so we get there, and we get all the stuff unloaded into the room, you know, and you're trying to put everything together and meet new people. And there's a bunch of guys looking over the... Uh, the manual about what's coming and, and scheduling and, and they had come to the conclusion as I overheard them that if you want to get the most Bible, then the major you want is pastoral ministry. And I thought, well that's the one I want then. I had no idea then that one day the Lord would call me to be a pastor. But the Lord, the Word of God calls that providence. God's interaction moving in people's lives and around us to get us in the right place at the right time to hear the right things and to gain the right things to accomplish His purpose. We have most certainly seen that in the book of Genesis. And God even told the, the Abraham and his family ahead of time what he was going to do. He didn't tell them how he was going to do it. But you remember the key chapter to the book of Genesis is Genesis chapter 12. It is the Abrahamic covenant. It tells us exactly what's coming, not just in the book of Genesis, but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, just keep going all the way through the New Testament, right straight through Revelation into Maps. The answer is right there that God is going to bless personally this man Abraham. And out of Abraham, he is going to make a nation. And he's going to bless that nation. And ultimately, through that nation, will become a blessing to all the nations of the world. Any idea what that means? It's Jesus. Turn to the New Testament and suddenly you're reading a genealogy. What's that all about? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and it just flows all the way to the name Jesus. When you get to chapter 15, the Lord tells us that uh, there will be a day when this family will go down into a land and serve those people for 400 years but they will come out with great riches well what country will that be well, we're going to find out today exactly what country that is so you want to think about how different our world might be abraham lincoln didn't buy a barrel 
want to think about how different your world is today. Knowing that God is constantly at work in and around us. There's no accidents, my friends. There's no coincidences. There is God at work. An appointment canceled. And now your day is free to what? To be exactly what God would have you. To hear exactly what God would have you to hear. To see what God would have you to see. In the case of this family here, in chapter 42, we find that God is using hunger. Hunger. You may recall when Joseph was just a wee lad, he had this dream. And there were a bunch of stalks of wheat, like 11 of them, and they all bowed down to Joseph's stalk. And then there was the sun and the moon and the stars, and 11 stars bowed down to him. And people looked at him and his parents and said, Really? Are we to bear down to you? And his brothers hated him. mind do it in the text today. So let's take a look at verse 1. We're going to see this passage dripping with problems, my friends. God at work. And what we see is that hunger now brings ten brothers to Egypt. You may recall that there's one already there. It's Joseph. How did he get there? His brothers sold him as a slave. They hated him so much they wanted to kill him. But instead, they decided to make a few bucks, and they sold him. And so these, this hunger brings ten brothers to Egypt. It's no accident. And what we find is that Jacob learned that Egypt had grain for sale. There was a great famine going on. You remember that from Pharaoh's dream in a couple of chapters ago, that only Joseph was able to interpret. Seven years of much and many all bumper crops abound and what you're going to do is you're going to save that grain because following those seven years of plenty will come seven years of famine famine so great that dream would say that you would forget the first seven years of plenty and so Joseph has put in the number two place all over, over all of Egypt. And we read that when Jacob learned, that's providence, my friends. Jacob just happened to hear that there was grain in, in uh, Egypt. So when Jacob learned that there was grain in, for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, what are you standing there looking at one another? He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we might live and not die. And so Jacob sends ten sons to Egypt to buy grain. Ten. Wait a minute, didn't he have twelve? Well, one of them is in Egypt already, and his brother ain't going nowhere. Benjamin. So ten of Joseph's brother went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. You know, kind of the stuff that happened to Joseph when he was with his brothers. 
Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came forth the famine was in the land of Canaan. And so there were other people there. Everybody traveling to Egypt, hoping to buy some grain. And there, Joseph begins to test his brothers. You might say, oh, what a coincidence running into it. Now, there's no coincidence here, friends. Look at verse 6. Now, Joseph was governor over all the land. He was the one who sold all, to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Right, wait a minute. You mean that dream that Joseph had when he was just a kid? You mean that divine revelation that God revealed to him and to his family, that which would occur, is actually happening? Now, note, note here, friends, this is not the fulfillment yet. Because remember, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. There's only 10 stars. Only the ten brothers here to bow down. We're not done yet. And so Joseph saw his brothers. Providence. God bring them together. And recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And he accuses them of spying. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. Joseph remembered the dream. Remember all those brothers? They're going to bow to me. Not because he wants them to, but because God said it's going to happen. Amen. Keep your eyes open. He said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. <laughs> yeah, surprise it doesn't say there, and Joseph chortled when they said, your servants have never been spies, verse 12. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We as servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with his father, and, and one, one is no more. Little did they know. But Joseph, verse 14, determines to imprison them for three days. So Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. And by this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Joseph knew the math, my friends. He knew what God had said, and he had not forgotten it. All eleven needed to bow to bring about God's will. So send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh. Surely you are spies. 
and he put them all together in custody for three days. Let them steward it as it were. And one of the things that Joseph has the opportunity to experience in this text is his brother's confession. Notice here in verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul. And here we have information that we didn't get from the original story. When he begged us, and we did not listen. And so they declared a guilt. But Reuben, Reuben declares his innocence. Notice here, he says, the end of verse 21, that is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. If you remember about Reuben in that event, well, let me remind you, in Genesis chapter 37, when they threw him in a pit, in Genesis 37 and verse 41, we read, But when Reuben heard it, he rescued them out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Now Reuben, of course, is the oldest brother, the most responsible of the lot, but he failed nonetheless. And that's important to understand that as he confessed his innocence, that's information for Joseph to use. But in verse 23 we note, that Joseph is overwhelmed by what he hears. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for he was it, uh, there was an interpreter between them. As Joseph, growing up in Egypt, knew Egyptian very well, you know? And they did not, so he used an interpreter. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. You know, Joseph skipped over the oldest and went to the next oldest and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph, here in verses 25 to 38, sends them back. Verse 25, And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Well, he didn't say go light on this stuff, did he? He's taking care of his family, which was the whole point of him being there. So Joseph secretly returned their money. And this was done for them. But notice in verse 26, you see, they, they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed, and as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. And he said to his brother, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And at this their hearts failed them. 
And they turn trembling to one another. What is this that God has done to us? They knew their guilt. And their conscience was wrong. What is this that God has done? So they realized it on the journey. Then they recounted these events to their father. Look at here in verse 29. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, and notice the, the description they have of Joseph, the man. Feel free to count how many times this expression is used. The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us, and he took us to be spies in the land. But we said to him, we are honest men, and we have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father, and one is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you. And you shall trade in the land. And they all, at this point, discover, we all have our money. He's going to think we're thieves. <laughs> Look at verse 35. And they emptied their sacks, and behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were very afraid. Friends, you notice the two experiences that are on here? Joseph, who knows the word of God, has not an ounce of fear, no anxiety does nothing but take care of his family. But these other folks, was that a twin? Something moved, I know it. Terrified at every moment. Is the difference between someone who knows that there is a God in heaven who is providentially working to bring about his which will be good for his family, good for his people, and will bring glory to his name. It is the difference between those who know about God's providence, who accept it as true and live in righteousness. Well, when we come to verse 36, they realize they need to go back to Egypt. I mean, Simeon is in locked up somewhere. We've got to save this guy, right? So turn over Benjamin. Well, we see here in verse 36, Jacob's reluctance. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. You have bereaved me of my children. Perhaps this is indication that Jacob suspected that Joseph was a, not a victim of some wild beast, but of his brother's. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? 
and all this has come against me. And it hasn't. This is not some horrific thing happening here. This is the divine plan of God to build a nation. And that nation is going to be birthed in Exodus, in Egypt. They're going to come out, go in 70, come out two and a half million people. This is the best thing that happens to this family. And here they are wringing their hands. Oh, what will become of us? God will bring about his promise. That's what will happen. But notice Reuben's commitment. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben says, you know the old put up or shut up here, where's my kids? If I'm not back here with Benjamin, kill my kids. Well, either he didn't like his kids or he was just highly committed to the task. I'm guessing the latter. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. And if harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to shock. You notice what's missing here, friends? Jacob never said, let me get away and pray about this. Friends, if there is anything you should take away from this study, it is that I need to pray more. You need to pray more. When you are faced with difficult circumstances, ask God. When you are faced with easy circumstances, ask God. What is it that you would have me to do? Give me wisdom to know how to respond. But instead, they chose to fret. Because when you discount the providential working of God, the result is fear and hopelessness. You and I know the story, just like God knows your story. We know what's going to happen here. And we know that God is, knows what's going to happen. And he is working again powerfully and personally to bring about his perfect will to accomplish what it is that only that God has determined that should occur to you and I. Meeting the right people, having the courage to open our mouths, to talk to others about Jesus. When you discount the providential working of God, the result is fear and hopelessness. So keep short accounts, my friends. Are these brothers terrified, knowing that God knows this? No confession. They don't seem to fall on their face and confess their sin to God, but they should. And so should you and I. Keep short accounts, short accounts with God, who forgives us and removes our guilt. And finally, I plead with you, please hear these words and live by them. Have faith in God. Faith 
is not believing without evidence, my friends. It is believing in spite of the consequences. Trust Him. God is worthy of your faith. He is faithful and powerful and good and kind and merciful. Trust Him with your life. Trust Him. Because to do otherwise, my friends, is nothing but a life of fear and anxiety and wondering and restlessness. Trust Him, my friends. Beg you. Our Father in heaven, here it is, your word laid out for us. We see the good, we see the good example of Joseph who received your word and believed it and went through turmoil and difficulties without troubles because he believed you. And then there is Jacob. Brothers, his sons, the scheming and the hatred, anger and jealousy. God, the choices enable us to make the right choice in this moment. To begin a new life, to begin a change, a life of faith in you, faith in your word. Faith looks a lot like obedience. Help us God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service with a song here this morning. Battle belongs.